I could be an engineer and I'm sure if I work hard enough, I'll make a comfortable salary and get to a point where I can help like maybe 10 girls, like 20 girls in my lifetime. But if my business was successful, that could be tens of thousands. And that to me is so exciting. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to Brown People We Know, an interview podcast about the South Asian American experience. My guest this week is Sravya Kalyanapu, a chemical engineer, model, and entrepreneur. Cool, right? She's been fond of entrepreneurship for a long time. During high school, Sravya was selected from a group of students worldwide to attend a program on the topic at Oxford University. Today, she's found a way to blend all her interests into her current preneur, Mango People Cosmetic. The all-natural beauty products are so popular that she recently sold out of the multi-stick product, probably the highest praise you can receive as an entrepreneur. During the episode, Sravya told me how a desire for impact led her to entrepreneurship and how she's inserting her own personality into the Mango People brand with South Asian references and sustainability initiatives. Check them out at mangopeopleofficial.com or watch the products in action on her Instagram at Sravya Kalyanapu. Sravya moved from India to Canada at age 10 and now lives in LA. About the modeling thing, that started while she was studying chemical engineering at the University of Alberta. And I still haven't mentioned that in 2017, she was the People's Choice winner of Canada's Miss World competition. She told me about her experience with the South Asian community during that competition, shared differences between how Canada and America view diversity, and talked about how having an also Thelgu spouse has affected her retention of Indian culture. Let's dive in. Sravya Kalyanapu, welcome to Brown People We Know. I like to do Thelgu guests. I don't like actively seek them out, but when I do find them, it's fun because I can look at a few extra sources, right? Meaning like on YouTube, there's news clips and stuff. And I can understand those versus like a Gujarati guest, I wouldn't be able to understand. <laughs> but I will say like, whatever clips I found that were talking about you, their Telugu was just like, so advanced. I had no idea what they were saying. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. So you've been here since you were like 10. Do you feel like your Telugu has gotten worse over time? No, no. I saw the I think where I got really lucky is that my mom, she's most comfortable speaking Telugu more than English. She's like, she gets really shy. So we have to speak in my mother tongue with my parents. And we talk to my grandma like all the time. Like right now I have like a, a Canadian slash American accent. But when I speak Telugu, I also have like a, a normal Telugu accent. Like I don't sound like a white person talking. Um, but I think it's also because like I grew up there till I was like 10. So I... I know how to say everything, how to pronounce everything. That's hilarious. I sound like a white person when I'm speaking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you, were you like born and raised here, I'm guessing? My dad's from Hyderabad. Mom's from Madhnapali. I was actually born in Saudi Arabia because my dad okay. just happened to be working there. But I grew up in Canada in the U.S. actually, in Toronto. Wait, you're from Canada too? I did not yeah, know yeah. that part. I'm a dual oh. citizen actually. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you're a Canadian. Now, now it just got more fun. You should mention that like at the beginning. I would have been like, okay, let's do this right now. <laughs> well, I actually held on to it for the episode for a reason. No. <laughs> I wanted to capture the <laughs> Okay, so I do want to get to like the cultural retention and the moving and all that. But before that, I kind of want to start with your career and like just what you've been doing in the last few years, because I find it so fascinating. I think you've taken a lot of 
very different paths and blended them together. Mm -hmm. Specifically, like you were modeling with NUMA and studying chemical engineering at the University of Alberta at the same time. And I want to start with the latter. What sparked your interest in chemical engineering? Oh, man, I, I actually hate this question. I feel like everyone asks express a cool answer, but I don't have one. Basically, entrepreneurship has always been my end game. It's always been that I, I was always going to have my own business. What it is has always changed, but that's always been my end game. And it's just, you know, the practical creature in me just thought, what's the degree I could do that I could get out the fastest, that I could make the most money? And at that time, doing a chemical engineering degree, you were like guaranteed almost a 100K job when you're graduating. It's only like a four-year degree. You don't have to do your master's. So my plan was to do the degree, work for a couple of years, get the experience, get the money I need for my capital, and then start my business. And I made that decision in my last semester of grade 12. Nice. <laughs> Very early. Yeah. You went in. You were focused. And to be honest, I'm not the only one. I remember when I was in my first year, I think it was like one of our like initial classes, one of our first classes. And I remember our professor was like, how many of you guys are here because you're genuinely passionate about the degree? Like 10 people out of the 200 people raised their hands. And then, because just to be honest, how many of you are here for the money? And it's just like everybody's hands just shot up. Yeah, yeah. So I was a biochem major and... 80% of the people in that major were just there because they were pre-med. They weren't there for any of the actual like biochemistry. Right, right. So what sparked your interest then in modeling? Because I imagine chemical engineering is an intensive degree and it must have been hard to balance the two. No, absolutely. I think it's, it's actually like the reason I started modeling is because of my degree. Again, in my second year, so I was part of this program called the co-op program where you can work and study at the same time. And we were part of this like resume building class and the instructor just kept telling us over and over again how important it is to have a diverse resume, how important it is to like, you know, set yourself apart from your peers. Like it's okay if you don't have the best GPA, but maybe you have some other leadership skills or something unique about you that's going to, you know, pop out and make the employee look at your resume for longer than 10 seconds. And I thought, what can I do to set myself apart? And, you know, my friends and my family has always been very like, hey, you're really tall and skinny. Why don't you like do modeling? And, but I was never really interested in that world because I was very tomboyish at that time. But then that conversation came up again. And then I'm like, wait a minute, like a chemical engineer who models is a very unique, that's like probably as unique as it can get. I sent my pictures to a couple of modeling agencies, and then I really like NUMA, so I signed on with them. That's pretty badass, I will say. Chemical engineer that models, <laughs> yeah. like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I mean, it was really good. Um, again, my intentions weren't pure, but it's it's been amazing. I've learned a lot. I feel like it really helped me with, like, you know, how to present myself well. I think one of the things with modeling is that you work with so many diverse individuals, and it's like very like chaotic. It's like one thing happened in the other, you know, it's like, I feel like you really learn to like manage your time, especially like while I was doing my engineering. So I've learned a lot of, and again, like my personal style has also evolved greatly because of that. And I'm a very creative individual. And I feel like when I was in engineering, it was so focused on the numbers and the science of things. I never got to play around with my creative side. And I feel like that that was a great outlet for me. You were studying chemical engineering I'm curious, did you have a lot of women in your class and 
did you feel like that was a unique dynamic? Because I feel like, especially as your classmates find out that you're also modeling on the side, that may have exacerbated whatever impressions or, or assumptions that they had about you. So out of, I'd say, our graduating class is about, I think, like around like 150 students. I'd say maybe um, there were like 10 or 15 girls out of all of that, and the rest were just men. And it's even worse when you're starting off because it's like 500 and then there's only like 10 girls. <laughs> because I'm sure you know with engineering, like people start dropping out and the class gets smaller. So it's definitely more intense. And it was it was actually really uncomfortable for me at the beginning because all my girlfriends went to sciences or arts and I was literally the only single person in my in our group to go into engineering. So I didn't know anyone. And yeah, like 90% of the class was just guys, basically. But I think I've been very lucky. I found a really nice friend group. They're very nice, very welcoming. And that helped me a lot. And I feel like they were never judging me because I'm a girl, because I'm a woman. Even within the faculty itself, they're very big on like getting more women in engineering. So I feel like if anything, it helped me. Because they were like, hey, can you come and speak at this event? Like, can you go and talk to these high school kids about your experience in engineering? I think one thing I did notice is, not with everyone, but there have been some individuals, I feel like, that didn't take me as seriously. Or at least at like the first glance, they would think of me as a not a smart person. And they would just explain me the most basic concepts that I was already aware of. Or they would be shocked to know that I'm not in an arts program, that I'm actually in, like, in engineering. They're like, oh, wait, you're in chemical engineering? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> I've been in your class the past eight months. That's correct. There's a bit of both, as I'm sure you can expect. But with my program, especially with my university, it's just been a positive experience. I've never had any uh, too much of a negative experience so far. It sounds like, although there was some of the negative sides of it, there may have been people along the way that were more invested in your success because of it. And I think I've seen that a little bit too. I mean, this podcast is a South Asian podcast and there aren't many of those out there. And so it's much easier to build a community around it or people get more excited about it at times. So in 2017, you hit your quote unquote claim to fame, right? You participated in a national beauty pageant and you were crowned the People's Choice winner for Miss World Canada. A lot of Indian Americans they feel the need to hide their Indian side early in life, right? Like the, the food and the language. And that competition is kind of interesting because your talent portion of the competition was dancing, right? Bharatanatyam. Did you feel like that helped you stand out? Or did you overall feel like being Indian American was a disadvantage? Yeah, no, really good question. I, I think my experience with that was very different to most. because I think it's mostly because I grew up in Canada. One of the things that I absolutely love is that it's not like America where we're encouraged to have that melting pot ideology. It's more about the mosaic. So you have your own individual culture, you have your own individual identity that you can celebrate, you can cherish, you can share with everyone while also being part of this huge community that's very diverse. I think it's because of that mindset that we have in Canada I've never really had any need to hide my Indian food or my culture. If anything, I feel like it's always been celebrated. I remember even in my high school, there were some girls who would actually wear Indian attire 
and they would actually come to school like on a regular day where there's no events or anything and again like no one would stare if anything they would come like I remember my teachers would come like oh my god where did you get this like can I buy it in Canada it was more like that it's so cool even in our schools we used to have this thing called like a cultural day where you actually come and dress in your cultures and you actually bring your own food. Our teachers, like they would dedicate a whole block of this every year where you can dress up your own. You can like make a science fair board with all your cultures and why you make your food. And I remember me and my friends, we bought idli and dosa and like peanut chutney and everyone loved it. My teachers were like in a lineup to eat dosa. <laughs> it's a, a huge credit to Canadians for it always like loving other people's cultures and celebrating them. And in terms of the competition itself, I I always have mixed feeling about this. I feel like most of the part was celebrated. I feel like everyone did appreciate it, especially the fact that I was one of the first Indian contestants to be there. I think everyone was so excited. I feel like all our community was watching. We had like groundbreaking, record-breaking viewership. And I feel like a lot of that is from our South Asian community. But when it came to the end, they went with a very obvious choice that I feel like a lot of people, not just myself, and I'm not just saying this because I didn't win, I mean in a genuine way, a lot of people were very surprised by the person that was chosen. And yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. I think when we look at modeling and all that, a lot of people still feel like South Asians are underrepresented. Like for me personally, I know if I want to look up outfit swatches, that kind of thing, like you usually find content for white people or for black people, but it's very hard to find content for brown Absolutely. people. Absolutely. I completely agree. I either see the other in the spectrum or this in the spectrum. There's no like in between. I completely agree. I feel like we've come a long way for sure. And I, I think we're still continuing to grow. So at least, at least I'm, I'm happy that we're going in a positive direction. I have not been in a beauty pageant before. I don't have the face for it. So what was your favorite memory from that day? Or even in, in the days leading up to that? Because I'm sure it was pretty hectic. I know sometimes when you get into like a competition, you kind of black out, right? And you just do your thing. But. Yeah, no, absolutely. You pretty much describe it all. When I think about it, it's just like a blur to me in terms of my memory. But I think my favorite part about the competition was before and the after more than the during. Like I love the before because I got to speak with so many wonderful people, like kind of doing interviews like this. I got to engage so much with my community, which I absolutely love because Miss World is really big on giving back and, uh, you know, being really, what do you call it, being involved in your community. And they really encourage that. And that's always been really big big part of my life and I feel like with Miss World it amplified even more like I used to go to um, elementary schools and talk to children and again like I would tell like I would literally walk in with my crown when I would tell them again like you know I'm 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 an engineer but also being part of this beauty pageant and I would share my experiences and my perspectives and they would love that because for them they didn't know that you could do both it's usually like you know for us we always you can either be pretty or you could be smart it's never like you can't combine two world type situations and I remember this one kid and he came up to me and he's like, I'm going to study math a lot so I can be an engineer like you. And I thought that was the sweetest thing. <laughs> like he just came, he's, he's like a, like a, not even like a six year old. And he just walks up to me at the end. And then he's just like, yeah, I want to be an engineer just like you. I thought that was the sweetest, sweetest thing. 
And then same thing with the after as well. I met so many wonderful people that I'm still in touch with. I met these two amazing girls during the pageant that I'm really good friends with. The one part is accurate. It is a sisterhood. To certain individuals, there's definitely that rivalry and the cattiness. But I feel like I've definitely formed that sisterhood with uh, two of my friends that I still keep in touch to this day. That's awesome. I can't wait till those kids find out that you also started your own business. <laughs> so I, yeah. I, I want to talk about Mango People Cosmetics a little bit. So for those who don't know, it's a company that uses natural ingredients to create beauty products such as multi-sticks and bronzers, not products that I personally use, but I can appreciate that because I think like even as I look at moisturizers and those types of things, there is a trend that I've also been following of using more natural products. But my like favorite, favorite, favorite thing about this company is that you have flavors like Jaipur, Jalebi, and Chai right alongside like peach, apricot, and fudge. When I think about Hassan Minaj's like Patriot Act, the thing that I loved about it was that he didn't like pause to explain the jokes. He didn't like apologize for having Indian content. Your business is not targeted at Indian people, but it is unapologetically Indian, like the culture is in there. So Tell me about the inspiration behind the business and the reasoning behind inserting Indian culture. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much. I love that description, unapologetically Indian. Um, I'm going to use that next time. So similar to you, I have always been very big on you know eating right, taking care of myself. And I was also very big on using clean beauty products. One of the days I was just like, what makes this clean beauty product? I just pulled up my computer and I started researching. And I'm not exaggerating, like 15 minutes into this, my jaw just hit the floor because so many of the colorants that they were using, like that I Googled quote unquote said petroleum byproduct or made from petroleum byproduct or chemical tar. And I was paying a, a pretty big price to buy this lipstick. Like, uh, like I mentioned to you before, I was more tomboyish. I've never worn too much makeup, but lipstick is the one thing I always wore. And I also have a very bad habit of biting my lips. So I ate like 90% of the lipstick that I wore. And for me to find out that it's the colorants I've made from Coltar, I was absolutely dumbfounded. And I, frankly speaking, I just felt stupid that I'm paying such a high price. And I've been duped into this like fake marketing that all these big companies are using. You know, one thing that like we're always taught in engineering if you find a problem, you have to fix it. That's basically what engineering is at its core. So I was like, you know what, let's do this. Let's go steal some ingredients from my mom's kitchen and let's try experimenting. And I think that whole using natural ingredients, I think that's that's heavily influenced by our culture. Uh, you know, we're always very, very big on using our culture to like beautify ourselves, to fix ourselves, to renew ourselves. You know, we have things like Ayurveda, which is very big on that. And even like growing up, we've never went to like spas or like got our like hair treatments. It's, it's always been like my mom putting fruits on my face, milk on turmeric, like neem oil on my hair, you know, whatever ingredients that she can find in her kitchen, she would just blend up and just put it on her faces. That, that was our spa sessions. And I think that's what really inspired me to use natural ingredients. I mean, if you think about it, things like cherries and raspberries, you know, if you like bite into it, they give so much pigment. So I thought like, you know, why not use those to color? So that's basically what sparked the idea. It took me a long time, it took me five years, but I think the end product was worth it. Everyone's really happy with it. So, Yeah, it seems to have lots of good reception. 
was the mango people brand or label did that stem from using your mom's ingredients or yeah yeah absolutely so our unique value proposition is our ingredients and i want to shine that as much as possible so when i was thinking about the names which took me a long time like oh dear god it took me a month i had like pages and pages of names that i was like crossing out and like putting in i was like why not why don't i just use one of the ingredients like you know that's the whole that's literally what makes our product so unique and I really love mangoes. <laughs> you know, I'm Indian. We love our mangoes. And like you've mentioned, I wanted it to be, I wanted to, I wanted to have that Indian part of me. And I thought mango butter is also like a huge ingredient in our formulation cell we use in every single product. And it's super good for your skin. So I thought, take the mango. And again, the product is made for you, for the people. So I blended together and we have mango people probably tastes better too when you're biting your lip <laughs> for sure and it's also nice to know i'm eating fruits and not chemical coal tar <laughs> yeah, for sure. early in your education i think maybe even around high school you went to oxford to do this entrepreneurship program right like super prestigious super cool and then i'm, I'm guessing that you took some entrepreneurship classes at the university of alberta did you find that the academia behind entrepreneurship prepared you for actually launching a business like can you learn entrepreneurship oh wow that, that no it's a very good question i'd say i to be very honest with you i feel like the actual classes the core of it i didn't think was very practical that's just my personal opinion i'm sure my peers would disagree but but one thing that i did value with these courses i've taken is that they always bring in speakers they would always bring in people who are entrepreneurs, who are running successful businesses. And that's the part that I've always enjoyed. And I feel like that's the reason why I signed up for these classes. And especially the, now that you brought up Oxford University, I feel like that was a huge pivotal movement in my life. Because similar to that, like when I went to Oxford, more than the courses, we had a speaker. I can't remember his name on top of my head, but he was like a tech billionaire. And he was talking about social entrepreneurship. And, you know, that was a concept that was so unique to me that I've never even thought or heard of up until that point. He was telling us about how he started his company and how he makes millions. And now he's using that money to give back to his community. He was like adopting orphanages. I thought that was so crazy. And that was so cool. Like you foster, you adopt a child, not in a whole entire orphanage, right? Like this man created this amazing apps and platform and company that was so successful but on top of that and it, I, to me which was more, even more valuable is that he took that to another level by using the money he's generating to help like millions of people millions of kids and I was like whoa like I literally had that mind equals blown movement and then from then on I've been very set on that okay I have to start to get into this social entrepreneurship my business has to be more than just about myself and making money and in that vein, like you're using natural ingredients, but you also have this refill program, right? Where people can like recycle the containers and, you know, me being the MBA, I can easily look at that and say like, oh, that's just a positioning value prop thing. But you've also given back to like the village that your parents are from and you've done all these other things. You used your platform as one of the contestants for Miss World to promote education and empowerment among women. So I fully believe that you're impact driven. And I'm kind of curious, like, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? Or how would you phrase it? Before I answer that question, what you said about 
these things just being like a marketing thing. I think that's the one thing that I always get really worried about. Even with our refill program, I was like, oh my God, people are just going to think this is, you know, a marketing play. But I think me as a person, I'm very, like, I'm vegan. I'm really big on recycling. I'm really big on like reduce, um, reuse. And like, that's, that, that is, that is who I am as an individual. And again, my brand is nothing but an extension of myself. And, and I really, really wanted to incorporate that into my brand somehow without breaking my bank at the same time, because I do have a modest budget that I'm starting with. And that's the reason why we had that refill program, because that's, that was, that's the best I could do right now. And I'm hoping that as we grow, we have even more like sustainable packaging and things like that. And same thing with, you know, giving back as well. I actually have not mentioned it to my customers that, you know, part of our profits would be used to do these charitable events because I don't, again, I don't want them to think that it's some kind of marketing strategy. So I'm actually waiting to collect the funds that I need for a project that I'm working on. And once it's done, and once we finish everything, then I will present it to my customers saying that, hey, by the way, the purchases you're making are not just valuable to you, but you also uh, you also made a huge valuable contribution to all these children. I think that's why I actually haven't like mentioned that because like, like you said, it could totally seen as a, a marketing play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I also appreciate you giving me exclusive content. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't tell you what to tell you. <laughs> you seem like a very impact driven person. Yeah, absolutely. I think a huge credit to my parents with that. They've always been very big on, having gratitude and giving back to your community as much as you can within whatever your ability you have i oh god i, I feel silly i i always i sorry i always get so conscious saying this because again i don't want people to think that i'm being fake but my biggest goal in life and this is something that i've been wanting to do since again as long as i can remember i want to be in a position like financially stable or I don't know, I want to be in a place where I can actually adopt an orphanage. Like, I genuinely want to do this. And that's one of the biggest motivating factors. One of the biggest reasons I pursued it is because, like, one, to be able to create something that's going to live past you. Like, that idea itself is, again, it's mind equals one. It's, it's so beautiful to me, one. And two, the ability to make those millions and having that power to responsibly use it to help millions, that is just so beautiful. And that's something that I've always wanted to do because I could be an engineer and I'm sure if I work hard enough, I'll make a comfortable salary and get to a point where I can help like maybe 10 girls, like 20 girls in my lifetime. But if my business was successful, that could be tens of thousands. And that to me is so exciting. And again, that's one of the biggest, biggest reasons I wanted to pursue so entrepreneurship. Do you do mango people full time now? I do. I do. So the reason I ask is a lot of people want to dive into their passions immediately, right? I just had on a comedian, Rajiv Satyal, and he spent four years moonlighting and kind of working his full time job while doing this thing on the side before he kind of reached that point. Even for you, that was kind of the case, right? You studied chemical engineering to work and build your business before you maybe came out fully. You mentioned that you've been working on this for five years. So what was the point where you said, okay, I can now like shift and, and do this full time? 
like you said, initially my plan was to have my full-time job and do this on the side. And until it goes big, then I can like quit my job and do this fully. But I've realized that these kind of, especially with business, you can't do like 50-50. You can't have your feet like in and out. You have to be in it because it's like a full-time job. Like I kid you not, I work like nine to 11 seven days a week because that's how much work it takes for you to build a brand to establish your business but a huge huge credit to to my wonderful husband and my family because I would not have been able to do this without their support you know a lot of people can't do this you know even though they want to pursue it full-time and they have the passion and they have the skill to do it they can't because of their finance you know it's like they can't be able to pursue that full-time while also making a living but I am in a very, very fortunate spot that I have all these amazing people around me, especially my husband. He's actually the one who encouraged me to not do my job. He was, he was because I initially, you know, when I moved to LA, I was looking for a full-time job that's like, you know, in consulting or whatever engineering related. But he's like, why are you doing this? You want to start your own makeup line. This is what you're passionate about. You can do that. And, you know, I'm here to support you. You don't have to do a job. And... I was like, oh my God, you're right. I don't. <laughs> and that and that was so sweet. So honestly, I, I would not have been able to do this if it wasn't for my husband and my family supporting me. This is all full circle, right? Like they're kind of helping you help other people. Yeah. So it's really cool to see that change. I often think of that as well in terms of like my parents brought me here. They put me in a position of privilege. Like I'm getting my MBA now, all thanks to like the hard work that they did for years. And so I often say like everything that I go on to do is basically them having done. I do want to shift gears a little bit and talk about cultural retention. Kind of the stuff we were talking about at the start, you moved to Canada when you were 10. And I feel like 10 is old enough to understand what's happening and to realize that your parents are like taking you away from your friends. (laughs) I mean, were you excited about the move? Were you apprehensive? What do you remember about that time? Yeah, no, I was pretty excited. I mean, I definitely missed my friends for sure, but I was still at an age where I haven't bonded to a point where they're like, I can't live without you type situations. So um, I was, no, I was very excited to a new country, especially because my parents were, my dad, especially, he just kept saying about like, oh, there's so many opportunities there. Like you could do this, you could do that. Like there's not going to be any restrictions for you. You know, I think like him being so excited made me and my sister so excited. I feel like it's been a positive journey for sure. So when you think of home today, what place would that be? Or if someone asked you, what, what's your hometown? Ooh, I, I would, I, yeah, I'd probably say Fort McMurray. That's a, it's a city in Canada where I grew up. Like if someone would say, where's my hometown? For sure, I'd say that. Where, where is my home? That's a tricky question. <laughs> I definitely I'd say LA just because, you know, it's where I live with my husband, but also like my home back home in Canada with my parents in Edmonton. LA has its own very strong culture, right? Like people know LA for its culture. Do you feel like being in LA has made it harder to retain your Indian culture? No, not at all. I've never had, I don't know, maybe I've just been really lucky in my life. I've never had the need to choose either or. I, I was always surrounded by people who appreciated both sides of me, like both aspects of my culture. If anything, again, it's always been celebrated, yeah, more than the negativity. And I feel like, and same thing with LA, I feel like it has not changed that. And again, like, 
our friends love Indian food. They want me to cook that all the time. They love it being part of like our like they wish us on Diwali, for example. It's so surprising to me that they know that before I mention it to them, you know. But I think it's a lot because one, I feel like that culture is changing. We're more appreciative of every single culture. And two, I think I'm also very lucky to be surrounded by really wonderful people in my life. When you think of yourself in terms of values or culture, do you think you lean more Indian or more, I was going to say American, I could say Canadian. Canadian. (laughs) I would say, in my opinion, I would say I'm the perfect mix of both. I might sound a little (laughs) arrogant there. But um, yeah, I would say I'm a perfect mix of both. I feel like I have that, uh, you know, the appreciation for the nature, for the beauty of things and I don't know, just I get I just just being more mindful, being more peaceful, you know, all of that. I get that from my Indian side of being family oriented, you know, being like that whole like family first, families, everything, uh, meaningful connections or everything, you know, all of that from my Indian side. But I also have that, you know, being progressive, being accepting of everyone's um, you know ideologies and being open to different ideas and, you know, just being an open minded person, you know, that. That's very like, you know, Canadian, American thinking. So yeah, I feel like I'm a perfect merge of both. So you've been married for a little over a year now? Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Congrats. Thank you. Is your husband Telugu? He is Telugu. <laughs> so you, you've heard the Bobby episode, right? I think something that Bobby mentioned that's so interesting to me is the dilution of culture across generations. And he said that dilution or the rate of dilution is greatly influenced by who your spouse is and I wanted to get your thoughts on that when you're at home do you speak in Telugu do you eat Indian food so I completely agree with him first of all I I I think who you marry makes a huge difference in terms of the cultural attention with your kids even more but I feel like it's that's not so much about marrying someone who is the same you know uh, who speaks the same language as you or who is like you know Indian etc I think it's more about if they're willing to learn and appreciate your culture as much as you do you could be married to a white person but if he's someone who loves you know the culture and he's like no I really want our kids to learn Telugu I really want them to retain our culture I think that's still fine you know I think I think it's more about their personality and their values rather than their you know nationality or their ancestry and no, we do not speak in Telugu at home, unfortunately. And I'm really trying to, uh, but say, similar to you, he was like, he born and raised here. So we definitely have a hard time. I think it's also because when we connected, we were speaking in English. You know, that was like our first language that we spoke. I think that's what stuck with that. But I know that my parents and my mother-in-law especially really wants us to speak in our language. But when we are with our families, then we're like completely Telugu. Whenever I go to my in-laws place, which we visit like very often, we're like fully Telugu all the time. Even if it's just me and him in the house, we speak Telugu. But for some reason, when it's just me and him in our house, in our own home, we speak in English. But I'm I'm trying to work on that. It's actually my New Year's resolution to speak in Telugu with him. Especially when we have kids, you know, I really want them to learn Telugu and be part of our culture as much as possible. So I always go back and forth on this. I'm like, if I do marry someone Telugu, then it's nice, like, we can both speak it, we can speak with our kids, it's this nice, like, holistic thing. If my wife does not speak Telugu, I can basically speak about my wife to my kid <laughs> in another language. <laughs> I'm, like, weighing oh pros and cons Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's a good point. I can always, I can always uh, speak French with my kids. And That's say true. stuff <laughs> to true. about their dad. 
man, I left Canada after third grade or like right before, yeah, I think like right after third grade, which is like right when you're about to start learning French. So, so I never picked that up. But anyway, Sophia, I know we're coming on time. This was like really fun. I genuinely enjoyed speaking with another Indian, Canadian, American <laughs> Thank you for making the time and coming on. No, absolutely. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's Suraj. I just want to stop and take a moment to say thank you for reaching the end of the episode. My goal with this podcast is to build a sense of community. I want South Asian Americans to know that they're not alone in their experience because many of us didn't grow up around other South Asian Americans. I also want to make sure that we know that anything is possible. And to do that, I'm going to expose us to all the random, non-traditional, really cool things that other South Asian Americans are doing. If you found this podcast entertaining, please, please, please share with a friend, leave us five stars on your favorite app or spread the word. It'll help us reach more people and build the community. Thank you. Talk to you soon.